Elizabeth was once a garden place with all her glories common, and men did live a holy race and worship Jesus face to face in Adam on thy amen. Hello and welcome to a long overdue new um, edition of Mormon Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John DeLynn. We're very excited to have you with us today. And today we have uh, two uh, panelists with us. The first is John Hamer, who is executive director of the John Whitmer Historical Association. John also recently co-edited a book entitled Scattering of the Saints, Schism Within Mormonism, which was released in September of 2007. Welcome, John. Hi, John. And is it schism or schisms? Uh, I should know that. <laughs> schism. I think it's schism with. Okay, schism within Mormonism. Schism within Mormonism. All right. Uh, well, welcome, uh, Ronan. Ronan James Head uh, is from Malvern, England. Ronan is a scholar of the ancient Near East, uh, currently dissertating and a teacher of religious studies. He blogs about Mormon stuff at themightybycommonconsent.com, and I hung out with him last week in Oxford. Ronan, welcome. Hi, John. Nice to speak to you. All right. Well, today I would say, or over the past few days, and let's just for our, uh, our time-shifted listeners, it's uh, November 9th, 2007, and yesterday it seems like the news broke. Um, something big is afoot, or potentially big. And Ronan, I'll just pass it to you to kick off uh, what happened. Okay, well, this thing that is potentially big all centers on one word. Um, basically, since 1981, the introduction to the Book of Mormon, that is the, the bit that explains the Book of Mormon that isn't actually part of the, the scripture, sort of the explanatory introduction that was placed in in 1981, Apparently, most people think that Bruce R. McConkie wrote it, but anyway, since 1981, it has said, uh, quote, that the people chronicled in the book were destroyed except the Lamanites, and they are the principal ancestors of the American Indians. So from 1981 onwards, if you picked up a Book of Mormon and you just read the explanatory introduction, you would read that Mormons believe that these people chronicled in the book were all killed apart from the Lamanites and that they are the principal ancestors of the American Indians, highlight principle. Now, since, the, since, two, since now, um, uh, the, the edition of the Book of Mormon that is published by Doubleday, the commercial edition, uh, their second edition, published in 2006, the introduction is slightly different. It says that the Lamanites are not the principal ancestors of the American Indians, but are, quote, among the ancestors of the American Indians. So the, the difference here is between whether the, uh, the Indians are uh, um, principally descended from the Lamanites or if the Lamanites are simply among the ancestors of the American Indians. So this is all in the new second edition of the Double Day uh, Book of Mormon, the commercial edition, but apparently the next LDS printing of the Book of Mormon will also uh, include this this difference. And uh, according to a church spokesman, uh, he said that this change, quote, takes into account details of Book of Mormon demography which are not known. So there you have it, principal or among. Okay, 
And um, and before we jump into an analysis of this, it pro- you know, there's a lot of people who are just like, I, I, I can't grasp all this stuff. Can somebody sort of narrate this in some type of narrative that that makes us understand why this is potentially a big or small deal or relevant? So, John Hamer, you've got a, a wonderful grasp of history. We'll help you along the way. But give us some historical context for what we're really talking about here. What does this have to do with Lamanites, American Indians, statements by past general authorities, the Book of Mormon, our history? Uh, narrate a story that helps us understand what this word change might or might not mean. Well, to put it in a little bit of context, even though um, the language principal ancestors hadn't been in the introduction to the Book of Mormon before uh, just you know the last couple decades, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the church when the Book of Mormon was published and the church was for, first organized, really uh, among the first order of business was to take the Book of Mormon, to take the gospel, and to take it to what people, what the early saints were calling the Lamanites. So it's not even that they were saying the, the principal ancestors, but rather they were wanting to take uh, this story, uh, this gospel, this history of the Lamanites to people who they were calling the Lamanites, which were the uh, American Indians. And so a major mission right at the very beginning of the church from upstate New York all the way across the country to the western frontier of Missouri uh, where the federal government was relocating all of the eastern Indians and the missionaries attempted to evangelize the Indians and, uh, and, and teach them the Book of Mormon. And just to personalize this, you're saying that Joseph Smith himself seemed to have considered Native Americans sort of in a blanket way to be Lamanites. Is that a fair, is that a fair thing to say? I think it's a fair thing to say that all the early church leaders used the, the term Lamanite and uh, Native American interchangeably. And, and also, for example, even when we get to the, when the Articles of Faith are written and they're talking about the, gath- the gathering of Israel, I think a lot of times today that this is just taken for in the LDS uh, church, people think of this only as the Jews and gathering the Jews to Palestine. But in the early church, this really uh, meant uh, several things. So it was the gathering of the Lamanites, gathering of the Native Americans who, according to the Book of Mormon, are descendants uh, of Israel through the tribe of Manasseh. Then, and then um, also the Ephraimites, who are, these, uh, who are blood, a blood remnant, which are the Mormons themselves, the converts, also the Jews. And so all of these things. And so I think that that, was, that uh, understanding, that blood understanding, was there at the beginning. The okay. other thing to bear in mind is that it's not just Joseph Smith and the, and, and the early um, Mormons believing this or saying this. I mean, this, this is put into the mouth of God. So I have in front of me Doctrine and Covenants 28, uh, revelation given to Joseph Smith. So it's written in the first person, and it's, you know, Mormons believe this is God speaking, and he talks about the city of Zion shall be built, and he says, quote, I say unto you that it shall be on the borders by the Lamanites. So obviously he's referring to Missouri, and the Lamanites he's referring to, this is God, is the, uh, the, the Indians, the Native Americans. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's an important belief, at least as far as the Doctrine and Covenants is concerned. Okay. So from, let's just fast forward from Joseph Smith's time through, let's say, you know, 1990 or even 2000, were, you know, what, what, what else was said, or just in general, what else was sort of the general perception of both 
leaders of the church and the members regarding Native Americans and Lamanites. John Hammer. Well, I think that the, I think there's it's, this has continued to be a common common view uh, in the traditional view. I mean, there there's everything from uh, children's songs in primary where they have Book of Mormon stories and it talks about you know Lamanites met others who were seeking liberty, meaning that when the when the colonists came to uh, to the Americas, they met the Indians and those are called the Lamanites in the song. Everything from that to uh, missionary work when it's been done. Uh, not only among American Indians, but among everybody who uh, is in the Western Hemisphere has um, Native American um, American Indians, but not just in in the United States. I mean to say, uh, all of the all of those uh, uh, people have often been called Lamanites when they're being evangelized to, and then that was also extended uh, in the I know in the late 19th century, and I think up to the present. Uh, in in the South Pacific, where people are, uh, they're also uh, believed to be kind of a remnant of the Lamanites, traditionally. Yeah, and I'll just add, on my mission in Guatemala, um, the the members of the church proudly referred to themselves as Lamanites in, you know, in Guatemala, and I would assume in most of Latin America, and probably the Pacific Islands. Do any of you have other sort of affirmations to that effect, or is that just my Guatemalan experience? Are you talking about um, Hispanic Guatemalans or Indians? Um, I would say Hispanic Guatemalans. See, that's that's hilarious then, isn't it? I mean, that sort of uh, identification one step removed. I mean, if your ancestry comes, you know, it's ultimately from Europe. Well, partly. Are... I mean, they're probably mestizos, right? So they're partly from okay. Europe, partly from the natives. And who knows, who knows elsewhere, right? But I, I can certainly say that, you know, here in England, when Latter-day Saints congratulate themselves on how well missionary work is going, obviously they don't look at Europe because it's not going so well. They always look to either Africa or South and Central America as being the big boom places. And as far as America is concerned, people here will say, well, you know, they are Lamanites after all. And But th- that includes... <laughs> You know, whether you're, you're black, Hispanic, or Indian, as long as you're from Latin or South America, uh, I mean, Central or South America, you are, you know, I think people around the world in the church consider you Lamanite, at least on a popular level. Okay, let, and let's, let's just talk about two or three more sort of uh, data points we have. One is the Lamanite placement program that sort of, I under, as I understand it, was started in the early 60s, but was a real... Uh, important component of Spencer W. Kimball's administration. Does anybody called the Indian Placement Program? Is that what it's called, the Indian Placement Program? Hmm. Oh, does anybody know, just in general, what that was? I, I can yeah, it try. Was, it was the Indian Placement Program, right? And it placed very simply, it placed Native Americans into Anglo homes, uh, Native American kids into Anglo homes during the school year, right? And then they would receive an education. And and the idea was that the Lamanites would, through this program, blossom as a rose, as, as had been prophesied. And um, that, that ran, according to trusty Wikipedia that I just looked up, it ran from 1947 to 1996. But I think that its, ma- its main uh, emphasis lay under the presidency of um, Spencer W. Kimball. So, and tell me if I'm wrong, I remember a quote from Spencer W. Kimball in the early 60s where he basically sort of expressed some type of sentiment which said, what a wonderful program this is, 
as you look at, at the participants of this program, in particular their offspring, you know, their skin is actually physically uh, fulfilling the prophecy of, um, of the Lamanites blossoming like a rose. Is that, do I have that right? I have heard that, yes. Yeah, I've heard that quote too. Okay. And so, and so it's clear that this was a very integral part of the Spencer W. Kimball's administration. And then, you know, there's also this Lamanite generation thing that BYU used to do for a long time. And I'd love if one of you guys could, could Google and find out when that ended. But, John, can you describe Lamanite generation? No, I don't remember what that was. I'm sorry to say. I mean, I do know that, uh, that it just seems like this was very widespread in a lot of ways. In our, my own family, we, we, in, they, when they were early Utah settlers, they adopted a Indian boy who they named Nephi. Uh, and they considered him to be, you know, a Lamanite, and so they named him after. I mean, obviously his name was Nephi instead of a Lamanite name, but anyway, a Book of Mormon name, and and raised him that way. So I mean, I know that was, that wasn't under the actual program that was evolved later, but I th- I think that was a kind of a a practice that happened. Okay, and Ronan, do you have anything to add to that about the Lamanite generation? I can describe it, but yeah, I've seen them. I, when I was on my mission in Austria, they came to Salzburg, I think, and uh, they were very well received. It was excellent sort of dancing and, you know, Native American dancing and singing. And even though there was no overt Mormon content, these these guys were obviously from BYU, so it was sort of, if you were Mormon, it was obvious that you could pick up on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so this is just a dancing group of, of dark-skinned people who basically um, would perform kind of like the Young Ambassadors, right? Yeah. And, and the tie was between the Lamanites and Native Americans pretty clearly directly, right? Yeah. Okay. So I, mean, I would, I guess, could I ask? I don't know if this is the case, but I hadn't actually been there. But isn't that the, how what they also do at the Polynesian Cultural Center? So in in it Hawaii near BYU Hawaii by the by the original Hawaii Temple, there's a cultural center where they do the same thing for uh, all of the different uh, South Pacific Islanders. That, that I haven't been there, but that would strike me as as accurate. Yeah. Um, and, and then finally, it's probably just safe to you know I, I've heard quotes from general authorities as they've dedicated temples in Latin America, where they've basically very generally and broadly said that you know we're building these temples for the for the Lamanites as a fulfillment of prophecy. Blah blah blah. Is that kind of the sense you guys have gotten as well? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say yes because I'd say that again. I think that this is in a traditional understanding. Okay. Okay. So now that we've kind of laid out the groundwork, you know, is it fair to say that this change in the introduction of the Book of Mormon represents the Church saying we should no longer, in blanket, refer to Native Americans or Pacific Islanders as Lamanites? And then, is it fair to assume that this has something to do? with um, recent DNA re- revelations that sort of don't seem to find any Hebrew sort of DNA or any significant Hebrew DNA in Native American blood. Let's start with you on that, Ronan. Um, I think I have to step back a bit, actually. Um, I think students of the Book of Mormon who read it carefully do sort of come to a view that there's there's a history here that doesn't quite match the the folklore, and that's a realization that really began, I think, with B.H. Roberts and onwards. So there have been Latter-day Saint leaders through the 20th century who did 
come to a, this understanding that perhaps there were other people, that the Book of Mormon is not a history of all of the peoples of, of ancient America. Uh, and then I think with the rise of farms, the Foundation for Ancient Research and Mormon Studies, they, they did a lot of good work a long time before the DNA stuff. They've done a lot of good work looking at the Book of Mormon internally and coming up with plausible internal geographies that did seem to suggest that the, the Book of Mormon did take place in a limited geography and that that limited geography probably um, was cited in Central America. So this, this idea that the Book of Mormon is not this hemispheric universal history of the Indians has been going on for quite a while and has been accepted by you know, faithful Mormons who, who read this stuff. I'm not sure how far it's penetrated within Mormon consciousness as a whole, but it's certainly been there for a while. And that is why the whole DNA thing, when that kicked off, I was really amazed that for someone like Simon Southerton, who was one of the DNA scientists who, who kind of went crazy about this, when he found out that there was no Israelite DNA in Native Americans, you know, sort of how the church is not true, etc., etc. When I first read that, Story. I was amazed. I thought, where have you been the last 20 years? You know, most educated Mormons don't believe anymore that the um, that the Native Americans are all descended from the Lamanites. So, I think the DNA has brought it to the forefront. I'm not sure, by the way, that it's either. It's really a massive change. I mean, let's remember that this is one word in the Double Day Book of Mormon. It hasn't yet reached the standard LDS Book of Mormon. And um, I don't think the church is going to have a press conference over it. It will just slowly infiltrate our consciousness. So for the so for the ex-Mormon or the anti-Mormon, or you know for the cynic or the skeptic to claim that this is in some way uh, a significant event, and maybe even you know the church I- I- acknowledging that the Book of Mormon isn't historical, where where would they be getting it wrong? Where would they be overreaching or overstepping? Well, that, first of all, that, that this hasn't been something that's been re- this has been something that's been realized for for a while, right? And this says nothing against the historicity of the Book of Mormon. I mean, this idea of a limited geography has come from Mormon apologists, whose goal it is is to support the historicity of the Book of Mormon. And so, I would say that this is this this change is actually absolutely affirming of a, of viewing them the Book of Mormon literally and it, uh, as a historical book still. Because yeah, it isn't changing, it's not changing it from being, uh, it's not saying somehow changing the language so that we can understand the you know, Native Americans as being symbolically Lamanites or that this, these stories are symbolic of the Americas or something like that. There's not some kind of a language that opens is open to that interpretation. Instead, what we have is a, a language that is narrowing uh narrowing the the literal it's literal still but it's just not saying it's it's the whole hemisphere anymore yeah precisely okay um and so really this is a so so this is this is no this is nothing that should excite uh someone who who is wishing to demonstrate the church is illegitimate or not what it claims to be oh they'll get excited about it they'll they'll say that it's the tail wagging the dog that you know, Mormon apologists have had to create a limited geography because they knew that the hemispheric model simply did not work historically and scientifically. 
and that then the church has sort of followed along 20 years later to sort of incorporate that. Of course, detractors are going to go crazy about this, but I think as, as John just said, for the LDS church, the most important thing beyond you know, be above and beyond perhaps offending people who consider themselves Lamanite or whatever, which is unfortunate, I agree. But the most important thing for the church is is to support the historicity of the Book of Mormon. That the Book of Mormon exists as this talisman for the truthfulness of the church. You know, if it's historically true then it's Joseph Smith did see an angel and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And so I think perhaps they weigh in the balance, you know, the the possible good and the bad that would come out of this tiny little change and they have decided to come on the side of supporting the historicity of the Book of Mormon by saying it's a plausible history. We believe it really happened, but the science that you throw at us is not going to persuade us because we don't believe that it's a hemispheric uh, story. So, you know, too bad. But I would but I would say say that 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 actually that that's where we're talking about what is a very substantial change here which is before it's all well and good to have like you say farms is doing this and of course farms at, at, from being originally a, an independent institution is now an institute within BYU it is payrolled by the LDS church but the but it, despite that fact it's still there's still been in a way uh it, an arm's length sort of thing where farms is making these sort of speculations about various limited geography ideas and these kind of things but it hasn't it hasn't been it hasn't been printed it hasn't been printed in the introduction of the book of mormon that the leadership is has, has decided yes we definitely think that's right or and and there's been a lot of uh ground for members who have the more a more traditional view to say well sure they're saying these things and if i want to read all these books maybe that'll that'll spark my imagination but it, it hasn't been reflected in what the statements of the, the leadership have been previously and i think that this this the one thing that this does kind of represent to me anyway is it does look like the leaders are becoming persuaded by these arguments that have come out of farms and are kind of saying no we we don't believe in a hemispheric theory anymore we are believing now in or in the traditional understanding anymore we are believing in a limited geography theory yeah, yeah. I just think that if you were to uh, ask the church, obviously I think the statement would still come out. You know, we don't know. We, we take no position on uh, Book of Mormon geography. I don't think they're going to officially endorse the limited geography. All this does with one tiny word, which most Mormons are not aware of yet and will remain unaware of for quite a while, I imagine. But this just allows them to cover their bases. That's all. Yeah, well, I think I think it endorses a limited geography theory, just not necessarily Sorensen's one in particular, right. where so and so there's two Camoras and all this kind of thing. But it definitely is. I th don't you think it says that by saying it's among the ancestors that it definitely is endorsing an idea of uh, other native peoples that are not mentioned in the Book of Mormon? Yes, I agree. But I just think that the church would leave that to, to you to figure out. I don't right. think they're going to make it explicit. So, no, no. So. Um, let's just step back. Let's let's sort of um, from a non-academic sort of just smell test perspective. Um, I could see someone looking at this deal and going, "Man, so let me get this right. Joseph Smith and m most of the major general authorities and most of the members of the church for 150 plus years 
have all considered Native Americans to be Lamanites. They've taught them that. Um, the Native American members have come to believe that and identify themselves with this. We've got statements upon statements upon statements that are affirming this. Um, Joseph Smith himself believed it and taught it, it seemed to be. And now, um, on top of what some would say would be a lack of substantive anthropological or linguistic or historical um, evidences trying to support or geographical evidences trying to link the Book of Mormon with actually a real place, real people, real times. On top of that now, we have sort of 150 plus years of misunderstanding, fundamental misunderstanding from and including people who all of us, many of us would consider to be prophets, seers and revelators. You know, are you guys saying me that there's no blow or no, um, you know, or is this, you know, is there no blow here? Is there no evidence or issue um, uh, or concern? Or or is there potential risk for the church from sort of uh, making this stuff? Uh, Ronan, then John. Okay, well, the church is very capable of changing its his, history. I mean... And I, I don't mean that in a negative sense. I, I mean that Latter-day Saints are comfortable with, you know, receiving new information, or as, as Mormons say, new light and knowledge, right? I mean, if you you just take something like Blacks and the Priesthood, I mean, this is this was sort of similar. I mean, it was a it was an idea that was very entrenched, and you could bring out scores and scores of, of, of documentation from prophets, seers, and revelators that endorsed the ban. And said that it would never change. I mean, that was Bruce Armour Conkey famously said that that nothing would change until the millennium. And then 1978, Revelation comes. Church changes overnight. And how many people leave the church over it? Only a few crazy people, really. So I think Latter-day Saints are comfortable with with change and understanding things differently. And I don't think it tends to worry them. It doesn't worry me. I don't know many people who are going to lose sleep over this unless you're already inclined to you know, pick holes. And so, and so Ronan, you don't, um, you don't see there being any significant risk of sort of people saying, man, first polygamy, now blacks, now Lamanites, you know, and, and Native Americans. And at some point, a core group of members saying, what can we believe anymore? You don't see that as being any potential shakeout from this? No, because generally the change that happens in the church, in my opinion, is for the good, and people uh, welcome it. I mean, we we don't practice polygamy, thank goodness. We don't have the the ban on blacks, thank goodness. And now it seems that we're starting to. I, I mean, look on the bright side. This is there are fundamentalist uh, churches who who take very anti-scientific positions and are very strident about it. And it would seem that the church, I'm not going to say it's particularly super, extremely pro-science, but still, I mean, what you're saying is uh, kind of like, you know, the earth is flat, the church says the earth is flat, and then the scientists say, no, actually the church is round, and then the church eventually says, well, actually, okay, maybe the church is round. And we would never criticize that. We think that was a good thing that we're responding to new information. And what remains true, what remains important, is that the Book of Mormon remains viably historical for the majority of Latter-day Saints. And so all of these issues, I agree with you, you could scratch your head over them, 
But at the end of the day, the Book of Mormon remains intact as historical, which is what the church wants. Everything else is acceptable collateral damage. But as long as you can continue to be able to defend the Book of Mormon as a historical document, the church wins on the whole. And, yeah. and Ronan, and you tend to feel like the church still can can claim that, right? What? That 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 the that the Book of Mormon stands within reason of still being a historical document. What What do you mean? Do you, what, I don't quite understand your question. Oh, just that, just that, uh, the church, the church. Do you think the church still uh, has good reason to claim that the Book of Mormon, within reason, can still be considered a viable? candidate for a historical document does that make well, sense you, yeah okay if you can get beyond gold plates and angels and and shining seer stones and hats if you can get beyond that you can really get beyond anything and so assuming you can get beyond that right uh what you're left what you're left with is a story which if it took place in a few hundred square miles of central america i mean why not why not uh for most people they're willing to accept it's plausibility and by limiting the geography, which the Book of Mormon I think does anyway, uh, you limit the, the sort of DNA things and questions like that. So for people who already are inclined to believe, who already believe in Moroni, uh, I think the Book of Mormon remains on sure ground. Of course, you know, if you're a skeptic from the beginning, nothing will convince you. So. But, but not a smoking gun for the person who desires to believe. Is there a smoking gun against it or for it? Against it. Uh, no. Okay, cool. No. Um, John, what do you think about any potential implications for this, for the church or its membership or for Mormonism even more broadly? Or is this just much to do about nothing? Well, I don't think it's much to do about nothing. Um, I think that part of this issue is what Ronan's talking about, which is um, kind of it's, it's insisting on on a literal reading of scripture and on on making um, scripture be literal history and and making sure that we're not going to change our interpretation of scripture as a literal history. And so uh, as far as that goes, I, I'm not sure. I think that this is a change, and I think that going from the traditional understanding to a limited geography understanding, I think it may not read as well with the text as the traditional understanding does maybe it does other people you can that's scriptural interpretation but i don't like like i think ron was saying it, you know if you already believe in in angels and golden plates or with other scriptures if you already believe that there was a universal flood that covered all of the you know all of the continents with with ocean then i'm not really sure why you have to make this this change so that you you have this uh you go from having the traditional understanding of scripture the way it was, which, you know, there's no scientific backing for a universal flood. And so okay. why, why do you have to limit, um, why do you have to limit down uh, from hemisphere to limited geography in this way? I don't know. Let, let me jump in here. Most of the um, LDS academics of sort of ancient history that I know who are active and faithful, none, none of them believe in a, in a universal flood. They do believe in some kind of limited flood so there's already room for nuance but what I, what I want to say is that if you're inclined to believe in angels and gold plates the good thing about that is it's not falsifiable I can't disprove it I wasn't there in 1823 when Moroni was supposed to be in the room I mean there's no way of knowing you can't disprove it as a matter of faith you can accept it or not 
But when it comes to, you know, DNA or, you know, or, or wanting to see Lamanites all across the, the, the Americas from Canada down to, you know, Argentina, then, then you're dealing with things that you could disprove, right? And so I think that's why it's important that this, this kind of scientific apologetic takes place because Latter-day Saints are happy to believe in the miracle, but we're not totally against science. And so when you do come along and say, look, there's no Israelite DNA, people do tend to say, well, that's interesting. They don't discount it. And then they breathe a sigh of relief when farms come along and say, well, actually, it doesn't matter because the Israelite DNA would have been a drop in a larger ocean. You know, So it hasn't been disproven, which is, I think, what's important for, for many Latter-day Saints. All right, John. Well, it's it's t- it's getting to be time to wrap up. Do you have any final thoughts or uh, things to share? No, I mean, I think that, that, that covers the main issues. I mean, I just think that... Um, in the end, if you are going to start down the path of, some, you know, representing, you know, um, interpreting scriptures so that they're less literal, so that uh, you know, it's not a universal flood, it's a, it's a limited flood, but somehow, in theory, I guess, according to the Latter-day Saint um, theology, as I always understood it, you know, the the universe, the flood begins in Missouri, in Armenia, and so a limited flood, it, it, it makes it complicated for me. But um, if you're going to stop, if you're going to kind of still do it that way. Um, I don't understand why you have to have the uh, a limited literal history when the whole story can be symbolic and you could still get all the same meaning out of it. If we were to suddenly come up with, as a historian, if I was suddenly to have the absolutely most accurate history of the Hittites you could imagine, that wouldn't suddenly become scripture. It's not scripture because it's history. It's scripture for other reasons. And so that's why I, I just wonder, isn't it possible to not cling to the history if, you, if that isn't yeah, actually a dangerous rock to cling to and it isn't necessarily a meaningful rock to cling to. Yeah, well, beautiful. Well, I, I, uh, well, oh, John, John Dillon, let, let me turn it on you. Do you think that historicity matters? Um, matters to me or matters to the to general, the church. To, the, to the church? Um, you know... I mean, can you imagine a situation where the Book of Mormon is largely taken as symbolic, and and the church still be what it is. Uh, I I I can conceive. You know, I'll just give you my personal reaction. When I saw this, on the one hand, I'm thinking, "Wow, we're more. Um, it, it looks like we're being even more candid, more forthright, and more honest." And I've been an advocate for that for a long time, along with many people. On the other hand, I do think that for a good chunk of members, facts and truth and sort of a smell test really do matter. And so it's hard for me to it's hard for me to imagine a vibrant, growing, strong LDS church if it's broadly accepted that the Book of Mormon is not what the church has sort of claimed it to be. And that's why, because I want the church to be successful and grow, I almost don't want to see us inch in that direction because I don't see the church being strong and thriving if the Book of Mormon no longer is seen as historical and as a translation of ancient records. But what, what would you do alternatively? I mean, you have science saying there is no Israelite DNA in, in Native Americans. So if you want Israelites to have been there at any point in time, they need to be limited. Otherwise, it simply doesn't work. Confronted with that, what, what should the church do? Insist they know you're wrong? No, I... Why? Well, why couldn't it have been in the same way that um, 
the the Lamanites when they're you know their skin color has changed when the curse is put on them. Uh, you know they could have also had their genetic makeup changed. Right, but is the church going to use that as an example to the New York Times? Oh, it was <laughs> it was when they they got a dark skin when God cursed them that they. I mean, well, I'm just saying that this is where where once we start, you know, you have to accommodate science in this. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. No, I'm just it's saying. Like, yeah, yeah, and my only thoughts are, I I I do not want this to weaken the membership or the or the the belief, the strength of the beliefs of the members, and so um, I I'm I'm I rely on your guys's good good advice that this in many ways is much to do about nothing, and. Um, I look forward to a hope that we can retain a belief in the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon as a people um, in at least a somewhat literal sense. Because I do think that that's probably vital uh, to a critical mass of belief with the members. So I'm not saying the church made a mistake. The church probably did the right thing here. I just I just have a hope that uh, this doesn't lead to a slippery slope of the general membership no longer taking the Book of Mormon as as you know as at least somewhat historical because i do fear that that might dilute the convictions See, I, I i'm reading this totally the opposite way for me it's it affirms the historicity that's what they're doing this for because they want members to still believe it is historically true that they are subtly pushing a model that's more historically plausible the history part is intrinsic to this I do not see a slippery slope here at all. Good. No, good. I, I agree with I agree with Ronan. I think that that's the direction it's going. But you guys would agree that some people on the on the blogs and webs are, are especially in the sort of anti-ex Mormon crowds, are probably looking at it that way, right? Sure, but I mean, they they're not being entirely honest about it. Good. Okay. Good. And John, you agree? Yeah, I don't think that this is in any way inching towards um, taking it non-literally. I think in, if it, it's definitely. Uh, like exactly as Roman Ronan, Ronan said. Well, brilliant. Well, this is totally unexpected reaction from both of you. Um, you know, Ronan's elders quorum president and, but John's sort of a non-Mormon, uh, a non-member of the LDS church. And so uh, I think this has been a fascinating conversation and I want to thank you both for coming on. All right. Great talking to you. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us here on Mormon Matters. Please check us out at mormonmatters.org. Uh, feel free to go up to our blog and make comments and share with Ronan or John your uh, your agreement or disagreement. Um, thanks again to you both for coming on, and we look forward to uh, engaging in another episode very soon on Mormon Matters. Take care. This earth was once a garden place with all her glories coming. And men did live a holy race and worship Jesus face to face in Adam on Diamond. We read that Enoch walked with God above the power of mammon, while Zion spread herself abroad and saints and angels sang aloud in Adam on Diamond. land was good and greatly blessed beyond all Israel's Canaan. Her fame was known from east to west. Her peace was great and pure the rest. A 
Like Adam 